Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I made the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. So happy you could join me. It's always a fun one a, because I get tremendous reaction. I'd say 75% of it negative uh, when I do my, for the one time of the year when I rank the teams 1 to 32. Um, and that's what I did this week in my Football Morning in America column. I'm joined by my friend from NBC Sports, Paul Burmeister. And to let you know sort of the format of this podcast, it's going to be a little bit different. First of all, later in the podcast, after Paul and I batted around a bit, we're going to be joined by Denver General Manager George Payton. Um, and we will discuss a very productive offseason for the Denver Broncos. And until then, the way we're going to do this is we're literally going to go from 1 to 32. And there are seven teams in my rankings who for better or for worse for positive or for negative uh have gotten the most reaction uh from their fan bases about where i have ranked those specific teams so paul i'm gonna let you take over and walk me through this but thanks for joining me and uh this is gonna be our last podcast for two months so let's make it uh, a Jim Dandy one. Jim Dandy. I sent my kids out, out the door today, Peter, tell them they had less than a month left of school. It's basically the last day of school for the two of us right here as far as your podcast is concerned. <laughs> and I feel like I'm in, I'm in podcast co-host for the NFL position A here recently because Chris Sims is in the midst of his top 40 quarterback rankings. That's always fun to bat around for an hour. And we had your mock draft a while ago, but to be honest, I like this even better. You're one through 32. So uh, you've given us some very good fodder. I'm all ready to roll. I've got your top 32. Without any further ado, should we uh, start it from the top? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Okay. At number one, I guess no real surprise. I, I can't think of a team in recent memory, Peter, that really kind of garnered more respect and attention from a playoff loss than the Buffalo Bills. And that's your number one team. I mean, to me, Paul, it just, I, I think this is about the easiest one that I've done in some time, you know, looking at teams and, you know, looking at the 32 teams at this time of year. And I think the reason why it seems so easy is that Buffalo has just made all the right moves. And I don't know anybody who looked at the end of last season 
and said, oh, my God, it's, uh, it, it's you know, the, the, the Bills have so much more to go. You know, the Bills were close. And look, I think like everybody else thinks they were missing one thing. They were missing a really good pass rusher, probably missing some secondary depth. They went out and got Von Miller and then drafted Kair Elam. And look, Von Miller has not had a double-digit sack year in four years. So there's some question mark about whether he can be Von Miller. And I think what Sean McDermott is going to have to do is limit his playing time to make sure that he can be around for 17 games. From a team that many thought was the best team in the postseason last year, even though they lost to an AFC team that didn't even make the playoffs, this is one of the teams we're going to spend a, a nice little amount of time with. At number two, Peter, you have the L.A. Chargers. You know, every year I try to do three or four things in here that are just gut feels on my part. You know, I, I responded to a couple of people yesterday. I sent emails back for people who had real thoughtful letters about how can you do this or how can you do that. And I write and I wrote back and I basically said the easiest thing to do would be to take last year's standings and just put teams down in order of how they finished last year. But does it ever really happen that way? No. There's always a, you know, Carolina of 2015 or you know, there's always some team that uh, that really kind of disrupts the uh, usual order of things. My feeling about the Chargers this year is that I think if they had a better defense last year, Paul, I think they would have been a better team than than the Chiefs last year. And I mean, and that's look, you can say if you know whatever if. You know, if there's a lot of ifs, you could say. But I do think that the Chargers address so many needs in this offseason. They addressed it with two run stuffers on the defensive front, particularly Sebastian Joseph Day. They've got another pass rusher in Khalil Mack, who, again, like Von Miller, you're not sure how much he has left. But I think he's got at least a year or two of productive play left. And you got the best cornerback in free agency in J.C. Jackson, which they needed too. So to me, this was a powerful, strong uh, offseason for general manager Tom Telesco. And I think the Chargers have gotten significantly better. I think uh, the Chiefs, who I have at number three, have taken a little bit of a step back, not a massive one. And putting them number three really was about in Mahomes we trust. But I just, I think that the Chargers have done enough. I feel better about them in a great division than I do about any other team in that division. You mentioned the Chiefs at three, Peter. I want to get there in a second, but just a little more on the Chargers. I mean, to me, this one made me smile, Peter. And I think a lot of fans, if you're not attached to a team in the AFC West, probably have a similar kind of feeling because if you're of an age, there's a certain air of nostalgia here that you think back to the Air Coriel days of the Chargers and it was just a wonderful watch. I mean, they may not have gone too far in the playoffs. They went pretty far sometimes. But um, to think about the Chargers hanging around and being a player in January is fun with the way they play with Justin Herbert. I see a couple of things that have to happen. Uh, Justin Herbert 
top six or seven, top five quarterback in the league, can he go to number three? I think that's a fair question to being in the top three QBs in the league. And that defense that was average to four, can it be top 10-ish? Not top five, but somewhere in the top 10. And I could see this number two playing out. Hey, look, Brandon Staley walked into the Rams a couple of years ago and by the end of the year as defensive coordinator in his only year there. And uh, and look, he made some changes. He did some different things. They ended up being the best defense in football that year. Um, I think he knows how to do it. He knows how to create it. And now I think he has the pieces. There's one other little interesting thing that I that I note about the Chargers. Paul, in weeks three, four, seven, and eight for the Chargers, in those games, three, four, seven, and eight, they have what might be four of the lowest five or six teams in the NFL, Jacksonville, Houston, Seattle, and Atlanta. And I realize Seahawks fans just choked on their apples, but uh, I think Seattle's going to take a major step back. But, but anyway... They've got four games that, I mean, honestly, I'll be surprised if they don't go 4-0 in those four games. If they do, that basically gives them the sort of buffer to know that you're going to be, you know, either in first place or very close to it by December 1st in a very tough division. So, look, I, I, I'm not positive about the Chargers. It's just a gut feeling I've had watching him through the offseason. I think they've answered a lot of questions. And you already kind of gave this one away, Peter. We stay in the AFC West as we go from two to three. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs there as the third best team. What's your headline with that one? I, I wrote something in my column, Paul, about how one year when I went to uh, Eagles training camp, I don't know, 2005, six, seven, something like that, and I remember telling Andy Reid that, you know, these fans here, they, they were still having uh, training camp at Lehigh up in northeastern Pennsylvania. And so I, I, uh, I said to Andy Reid, I said, these, these fans, you know, there are eight or 10,000 people there that day. These fans are so lucky because every year they come here and they know that if things go right, you could go to the Super Bowl. And that is what I would want out of my team if I were a fan of a team. And that's kind of the way I feel about this Kansas City team. And what I mean is that, okay, they lost Tyreek Hill. But is there any doubt in your mind, Paul, that if things go right for this team, if everything goes well, if they don't have major injuries, if Justin Reed can step in for Tyron Matthew, they're still going to be really good. And so that's, that's the team that Andy Reid and Brett Veach have built. And even though this might be a little bit of a step back here, it's not going to be much of one. I, I think you hit it right on the head there, Peter, that uh, it wouldn't be a surprise at all as long as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are there to see this team around uh, being one of the best teams in the league by the time we get to the end of the year or even winning it all. I think it's also pretty easy to play the other side, Peter, that if you take a step back and ask yourself, okay, who is the player the team's worried about the most when they play the Chiefs? And plenty of people with a, an opinion you listen to would say Tyreek Hill, and they're without him. I don't doubt that they're going to be really, really good, but if you wanted to play the other side, 
you can say, okay, without that piece, the one that teams worried about the most defensively, he's gone. Uh, I can see how you, you would say, okay, maybe a team take, took a step back because Tyreek Hill was that good and meant that much to the teams trying to get ready to play him. Yeah. Paul, you know, it was interesting. I Everybody likes the AFC better right now today overall yeah. than the NFC. I get it. But after Kansas City, it was really tough. This was easily the, the, the toughest thing I did, and it was almost a coin flip. The Rams, the Packers, and the Bucks. I knew, I, I mean, I've had a feeling I was going to put them four, five, and six in some order. That's how they fell. Rams, Packers, Bucks. I'll give you a little bit of reasoning on each, and then uh, let's get your reaction. The Rams lost a lot. I mean, a lot. I think Sebastian Joseph Day's a loss. Obviously, Von Miller's a loss. It looks like Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be a loss. Even if he goes back, he's not going to be there for three quarters of the season. Andrew Whitworth, Robert Woods, they've lost a lot of valuable pieces. But I look at him and I say, okay, what's left? The two most important players on offense, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, the two most important players on defense, Aaron Donald coming back and Jalen Ramsey. And I just said to myself, you know, with all due respect to all those other players, and they will miss them, no question about it. But I just think when you start with that core and build around it, I just thought, boy, it's hard for me not to pick the Rams as the best team in the NFC entering the season. Now, the one thing, Paul, that everybody needs to understand is I've got the Packers number five, and the Packers probably have the best chance again to win home field because they've got six games against Chicago, Detroit, and Minnesota. You would think, wouldn't you, that they're going five and one in their division. And it's going to be hard for the Rams to go five and one in their division. It's going to be hard for the Bucs to go five and one in their division, even though the Bucs have Atlanta and Carolina. The Bucs can't beat the Saints. So <laughs> I I I basically I basically picked the team fifth in Green Bay without Devontae Adams that I still think probably has the best chance to get home field in the NFC. And that's why I'm still, even though the last two playoff uh, campaigns for Green Bay, I'm very, very down on them for, especially the performance against the Niners last year. And then number six, um, you know, I put, I, I, I put Tampa Bay there. You know, Tampa Bay is going to be really good, I think. But I, there's something in, in my head. I can't look at 45-year-old Tom Brady and assume that he's going to be as great as he was last year. I, I think he will be, but there's just something starting to gnaw at me. That plus the fact they replace both guards on a very solid offensive front and we don't know yet if Rob Gronkowski is back. And we don't know yet when 
Chris Godwin is coming back. And remember, the last two full games that Godwin played before getting his torn ACL, uh, you know, he had 25 catches from Tom Brady. And remember one other thing, Paul, for those who say, Godwin was hurt a long time ago, he'll be back. Just remember one thing. He had his ACL surgery the first week of January. So I'm not assuming at all that he's going to be fine by Columbus Day or even by Halloween. I, 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 we, don't, we just don't know about when he's going to be back and how good he's going to be when he's going to be back. And so that's, that's the order, four, five, six. It sounds logical, but I, there's a very good chance it'll go six, five, four or, or something like that. My number one feeling, Peter, about this uh, NFC swing of Rams four, Packers five, Bucks six is about the Packers. And you mentioned it a little bit with how they've stubbed their toe the last couple of playoff seasons. I sat there and stared at those three and tried to think of some kind of pushback, something to say, you know, those teams shouldn't be there. Uh, my number one thought, a lot to like about Green Bay, but I can't get past how they've done the postseason the last couple of years. They haven't been just a little yeah. bit lesser than the regular season. They've been couple standard deviations away so that's my number one thought as you intro your top nfc teams at the packers defense is getting better aaron Rodgers still wonderful i don't have the belief in them i had a few months ago based off of this postseason pattern paul you know i i feel you know as we move on i feel a little bit i i was i had a tough time with what i was going to do with cincinnati I like Cincinnati. I like Cincinnati a lot. Um, there's just something holding me back from loving Cincinnati again. Uh, as I wrote, just remember that when you look at Cincinnati, the one thing that sticks out in my mind is recent history. In the last 27 seasons, only one Super Bowl loser has gone on the next year to make it back to the Super Bowl. And wow. that was the Patriots of four years ago who lost to the Eagles and then went and beat the Rams the next year. So I don't know. I, I, that, that says something to me. I don't think it's the absolute be-all, end-all story, but it, it says something to me, number one. Number two, uh, I can't, Get, and look, it was a magic season for the Bengals. Uh, you know, and Evan McPherson was just as magical as Joe Burrow was. So I, I you know, I just think that not, I don't, I wouldn't call it good luck. You make your own luck. And plus they had to win all those games on the road. So, you know, after beating uh, uh, the Raiders at home. But I, I just have this feeling about, the Bengals, that, that they're probably going to take a little step back, not a major step back. And at the same time, I think that their division just really got a lot harder because, you know, the Browns, if uh, Deshaun Watson plays, will be significantly better. And the Ravens, with all their players back after being the team most wiped out due to injury last year. You know, I wrote something uh, in my thing about the Ravens. If you think about it, 
the four four players on their team this year with the biggest cap numbers. Okay, Lamar Jackson, uh, Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters. All those four players were gone by December last year and missed. You know, Ronnie Stanley missed all but one game. Marcus Peters missed the whole year. And then Marlon Humphrey and Lamar Jackson uh, missed either the last four or five games of the season. So the Ravens were eight and three, and it looked like they were a lock for the playoffs heading into December, and they never won another game. So I think the Ravens, just simply by virtue of health, you know, assuming that they don't have these absolute freak training camp injuries again like they had last year, I think they're going to be right there with Cincinnati. So that was a tough one for me, eight and nine. Uh, I'm sorry, or seven and eight. But that sort of was my thought process with putting Baltimore as high as I did. And a lot of people said, you're nuts for putting Baltimore so high. I, I, I don't think so at all. I think Baltimore, you know, with reasonable health is going to win 11 games, period. They might win more. Um, and and any team that goes 11 and six is going to be a top 10 team in the NFL. I know the reaction to the Ravens at eight, uh, that was uh, probably quite a, rack, a reaction for you with all of your social media accounts there. I would I would think the same at number nine, Peter. Let's, let's move north on 95. Yeah. The Eagles at number nine. Great story last year. They really put it back together, became a playoff team, but they didn't look like one the first portion of the season. What's the reaction been to, to Philadelphia being there in the top 10? I mean, you know, I have a lot of Dallas Cowboy weirdos on my time, various timelines. And, uh, you know, the fact that I had the Cowboys in the middle of the pack, you know, because as I said, you know, it's always something in Dallas. I don't know. Something's going to happen. It always does. But I look at Philadelphia and I look at, improvements all over the roster, starting with A.J. Brown. Uh, I think that is a major, major upgrade. I think he's a top five to seven NFL wide receiver. Uh, and and now, you know, you put him with, uh, you know, Devontae Smith, obviously. That's a great pairing. But also, you know, Quez Watkins and Zach Paschal, uh, Zach Pascal, I'm high on, the free agent from Indianapolis. Uh, I think that was a good addition. And then, you know, obviously you look at the defensive side of the ball. Hassan Reddick and James Bradbury add legitimacy legitimacy uh, to the front and back end of your defense. And And look, I realize this shouldn't come into play. It really shouldn't. But we don't know about Jalen Hurts, Paul. None of us know about Jalen Hurts. But I will just say this, Howie Roseman has left himself with an extra one in next year's draft. They have New Orleans first round pick next year. And though it's not likely to be very high, and I don't think their pick is going to be very high either, Howie Roseman will be in position if need be with six picks in the first two rounds of the next two drafts, okay? He'll be in position if he needs to, to go buy a quarterback. So I, I think that they've managed the present and the future well. 
Look, there's a, I think no matter who you have is kind of that next best team in the NFC after that, that top three, and you had four, five, six, Rams, Packers, Buccaneers, whatever order you have those top three, the next team is, is a ways behind. I think it's bold to have Philadelphia next based off of the difference we saw between the Buccaneers and, uh, and the Eagles last year in the playoffs, uh, but there are a lot of things to like about them for sure. Let, let's say in the NFC, your next team, your last team in the top 10, the 49ers that I would imagine a number of people have reached out to you and let you know uh, both their positive feeling and negative feeling about the Niners with that unknown at quarterback having them there at 10. Look, I think everybody wonders whether there's going to, they're going to have a competent year at quarterback or better. And last year I can, I, you know, you would have to say that it was, a competent year or maybe a little bit less than that. So, you know, look, and this is kind of damning with faint praise, but if Trey Lance plays this year for the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo in reserve, that to me is the best option for the Niners. I still think there's a very good chance Garoppolo goes somewhere, but I also think that Trey Lance and again, this this is going to sound almost cruel. But if Trey Lance can't be better than Jimmy Garoppolo was last year, or at least is good, the 49ers are in real trouble uh, because it's going to say something about their evaluation process going into the 2021 draft. And it's going to say something, obviously, about Trey Lance. So, but, and and that's why I think Everybody's saying, oh my God, Trey Lance. It, you know, it's not like Jimmy Garoppolo last year was a top five quarterback. You know, he played efficiently and he didn't turn it over very much. And that is, um, that's, that's good because in the playoff game against the Packers, that got them a win. But you don't want that to be your absolute total uh, let's settle for that. You want to try to get better. And that's why I think the 49ers are going to be at least as good at quarterback this year than they were last year. And that's that's why I put them number 10. As you said, Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't a top five quarterback last year. I, I do think he was a lot of the times, but somewhere between 10 and 15-ish. So he played pretty well. And for yeah. Trey Lance, if, if he can hit the ground running in that area, it's best case scenario. I think that the, the best news for that team is they're so good around Trey Lance, offense and defense, especially if they can figure out the Debo Samuel thing. He can be lesser than Jimmy Garoppolo was for that first half of last year, and they can still have a winning record and be right there to make a run after Thanksgiving. Let's make it three NFC teams in a row. At 11, you have the Saints without Sean Payton. This this is going to be tough. I mean, I think there are people out there who are just assuming they're going to be fine without Peyton. Um, a lot of pressure, uh, you know, on this offense to be as imaginative and as good without Sean Peyton. So we'll see if they can be. I mean, one of the reasons that Jameis Winston desperately wanted to go to the Saints is that he wanted some of that brain, those brain cells of Sean Peyton, and now that's gone. Um, I think they, I mean, if you look at their receiving core with Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry, it's monumentally better than it was a year ago. They already have a top five NFL defense, in my opinion. 
uh, and most of that is coming back. So I like the Saints' chances uh, to to give the Bucks uh, a tough time winning the NFC South. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long, but Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. Big drop at number 12, Peter, for the, for the team in the AFC that finished as the number one seed in that conference last year. We see Tennessee at 12. I, I Look, you know, this, this year is going to be a referendum on Ryan Tannehill. Um, the, the cap hit on Tannehill won't be awful if they choose at the end of this year uh, to get rid of him. They've had a very stiff upper lip this offseason, and been all in Ryan Tannehill's corner, but come on, let's be real. Um, the last two playoff games for the Titans, both of them, by the way, in Nashville, Ryan Tannehill has led the offense to 29 points and two losses. So, you know, you can't be scoring 16 and 13 when you're the number one seed in the AFC and think all is well. All's not well. Ryan Tannehill has got to play a lot better than he has, Paul. Yeah, especially uh, especially when it matters most. All those nice uh, nice games he has middle of the season aren't going to mean a whole lot if they don't do better in the offseason. At 13, we find a team, a uh, new GM, new head coach, new best player on offense, maybe tied with Derek Carr. Raiders at 13. Here was the thing about the Raiders that was difficult for me. You know, I, I, I think their defense is going to be okay. Um, and, you know, they made an awful lot of good additions this offseason. I love Chandler Jones, Max Crosby rushing together. The explosiveness on offense with Devontae Adams added with his old friend Derek Carr. I really, really like that a lot. Um, and I just think... They've got a tough schedule. Anybody in that division's got a tough schedule. And along with Denver, which I have next at, at 14, I think one of the difficult things to really try to figure out coming into this season, Paul, is, you know, Denver had a very good defense last year. The Raiders, not as good. And, you know, have the Raiders basically caught up now and can they play 
on a par with Denver on defense. And so I think that is going to be big. And and look, the Chandler Jones uh, addition is big. And and I, I think it's I think it is really, really close between the Raiders and Denver. And that's why I had them back to back. Yeah, Denver, I mean, it's a, it's one of many compliments you can give to the AFC West that the, the Broncos come in at 14, Peter, and they're the last team in that division. But it is probably eight to 10 spots higher than they would have been last year. So a massive jump with Russell Wilson, right. but not good. Yeah, not good enough to be anywhere but top fourth in that division. Okay, a lot of people will want to hear about the Cowboys at number 15. We've already seen the Eagles. They were just inside the top 10. Um, your biggest reason you have Dallas there at 15, Peter. I think Dallas, uh, not only does Dallas always lead the league in drama, as I said, uh, but I just, I, I didn't love how they played in some big spots last year. You know, I think it's a pretty basic thing with the season on the line that you know how to manage the clock. And that last snap of last season against the 49ers in the playoffs just really sticks with me, Paul. It, it's hard to erase. And you could say, well, that can happen to any team. It can happen any year. Maybe. Paul, am I wrong here? Does it always happen to Dallas? Does something always, <laughs> is there always something that goes wrong in Dallas? Is there always some big Tuesday headline three or four weeks out of the season that bleeds into Wednesday and Thursday. And I mean, that the amazing thing about that clock management story last year after the 49ers knocked the Cowboys out of the playoffs is that we're in the middle of the playoffs and that story lasted till Friday. Nothing lasts four days, five days in the playoffs. That thing had so many legs that even in the offseason, people are still talking about it. I'm sorry. I, I just can't get it out of my head. Everything's amplified with the with America's team, Peter. I mean, they, I think they have to take the good with the bad. I mean, there's a reason why, even if they have a losing record, it's rare that they come into December and they're not factors. They're still going to get a lot of 425 kicks. They're still going to get some prime, prime time because of the Dallas Cowboys. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. But they also have this thing where they're, they're pretty good and they're flirting with being good a lot. And there's something that comes up that keeps them just decent instead of really good. So I, I'm with you. It feels like there's always a reason why Dallas uh, people are questioning what happened yeah. uh, as opposed to applauding Miami at 16, Peter. So one game above 500 last year. Okay. Last team in the top half of the league in your power rankings here would suggest that even with Tyree kill pretty much the same as they were last year. You know, Paul, I, I originally, late Saturday night when I was doing this, uh, I had New England 16 and Miami 17. Hmm. And I, I ended up flipping them because of, basically because of the way each team ended the season. You know, Miami ended up on a hot streak, even though they fired their head coach. And New England ended up losing four of the last five including the playoff game in Buffalo in which they were behind 33 to three midway through the third quarter. And I looked at uh, Mac Jones and, and I don't know. I mean, I thought Mac Jones regressed a little bit as the season went on last year. He started well. 
I had a stat in my column. I think in his first 11 games, he was a 69% passer. And then down the stretch, he was a 61% passer. And Paul, I, I, I and look, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm talking about Miami and New England like in tandem. And there's another thing, you know, almost like Dallas, I just can't get over. There are two coaches on the offensive side of the ball, Matt Patricia and uh, and Joe Judge, who their history is not on the offensive side of the ball, and neither of them in more than three decades of coaching, neither of them have ever been a quarterback coach. And now Joe Judge apparently is going to have uh, basically quarterback coach duties with the Patriots, and Matt Patricia is going to have something to do with it, although in Bill Belichick's world, who knows? And, and so that bothers me. And then on the other side, I mean, in, in Miami... I look at Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, and Mike Gesicki. And look, I have the same questions most people do about Tua Tonga-Valoa. I'm not sure of him at all. And I, I don't necessarily think that they're going to be looking for a quarterback at the end of this season, but they might be. But all I'm saying is that the weapons that he has uh, in his arsenal uh, are fantastic compared to most teams in the league, and certainly, I think, compared to the Patriots. So that's why I ended up putting Miami over New England. Look at your AFC East turn there, Peter, that back-to-back, Dolphins 16, Patriots 17. And my number one thought is people are going to have opinions about the Patriots that they should be higher or lower. But the bottom line for me is whether you'd have them at 12 or 13 or 18 or 19, this appears to be a team that's kind of chasing the elite teams in the AFC. And that feels different about the Patriots considered Agreed. what we've been doing the last, the last 20 years. And that's why it jumps out. But if you're really realistic about this, there's somewhere that they're not a bad team, but I don't think you could say they're a top 10 team competing with the best in the AFC. So they, they certainly belong in that pack. It's a decent AFC team. And if whoever coaches Mac Jones can bring him along <laughs> to make that big step, Maybe they're top 10, but I think you have them right where they belong. Let's go with Cleveland right now uh, at 18. I don't have any idea whether Cleveland will be 18 or 8 or 23 because you have to tell me how much is Deshaun Watson playing. You know, the difference between Deshaun Watson and Jacoby Brissett, his backup, is pretty big, assuming they don't figure out some sort of Hail Mary to bring Baker Mayfield back if Deshaun Watson gets, um, uh, you know, a a heavy suspension by the NFL. Fact is, the Browns at 18, it's almost a placeholder, Paul. I don't know what to do with them because I don't know how much the quarterback's going to play. If you told me that the quarterback is playing, uh, you know, 16 or 17 games, I'd probably have him at, 10 or 12, you know, but you can't tell me that. Nobody can. And that's why yeah. the Browns were a hard team to place. I think you said it best. Their placeholder at 18. Good spot for them with, with, with all the unknowns we have right now. Minnesota, veteran defensive coach to a young offensive one. You have the Vikings at 19. You know, there's a lot of fresh air in Minnesota. You can just feel it. 
Um, I think that Mike Zimmer had gotten stale in Minnesota. A lot of players thought he'd become way too negative, sullen. Uh, and so I think they needed what I call a sunny guy, Kevin, o Kevin O'Connell. Uh, and, uh, you know, a new general manager, Quasi Adolfo Mensa. Uh, and I think they have brought really some fresh air to an organization that needed it. As always, Paul, in Minnesota, it's going to come down to Kirk Cousins. They have enough talent to win on both sides of the ball. They're not great on either side of the ball, but they have enough talent to win, and it's going to be in the hands of Kirk Cousins to take them as far as they go. Speaking of uh, sunny outlooks here, Peter, and the NFC North, how dare you have an optimistic look at a team that's historically been bad in the Detroit Lions and won only three games last year. What's the reaction been? To, to have in Detroit at 20. You're out of your effing mind. That's, <laughs> you want to you wanna know the easy, the, the, the reaction, the next two teams on my list, Detroit 20, Indianapolis 21, that oh, yeah. has been borderline overwhelming. You know, the Lions way too high, Colts way too low. We'll get to the Colts in a minute. Um, look, there's a few things about the Lions that I like. Number one, they played their rear ends off for Dan Campbell in hopeless situations. They won their last three home games last year, uh, and they played hard for him, although there was nothing to play for. I was very impressed with what I saw in them late in the year. Number two, this team was 11-6 and six against the spread last year. I'm not a betting man, but I know what that means. And that means they outperformed public expectations. And when I say public expectations, I mean the people in Vegas and now all over the country who study this game, uh, you know, as much as anybody does. And they made this, uh, they made this incredibly good run last year. And I think one of the things that happened last year is that they made believers out of people inside their team. And I just think that Detroit now is, and, and there's, there's one other thing, and I'm not, a lot of people would say, boy, you got Detroit on the schedule, that's lucky. Listen to the eight games that they have on their schedule, okay? Giants, Jets, Carolina, Jacksonville, Washington, Seattle, Chicago, Chicago. And, and look, and, and, and I think Detroit, I look at Detroit right now as clearly a better team today at this moment than Chicago. Whether that pans out or not, I don't know. But half of Detroit's schedule, half, are absolutely totally winnable games. And if you put a line on them right now, it would be, it would be less than a touchdown in every one of those games. And so... Again, I just, I want to pick a team or two every year that I think is going to outperform expectations. Detroit's my big one. I mean, putting them 20 is not exactly like putting them eighth, no, but <laughs> the Chargers at two and Detroit at 20, that's, those are my two teams this year. I love the subplots, Peter. And one of my favorite ones heading into this year is Jared Goff. And I mean, think about what he's been through the last year. He got sent packing. He had to watch the team that said, okay, I think we could go from decent to the best without you. 
and they were terrific without him. And he goes to a team that uh, historically loses. They lost a lot. Is he going to be the man there? Or is this the start of a kind of an Andy Dalton kind of trek where he's going to be with four teams in five years as a trusted backup? So I can't wait to see what happens there. I love the collegiate field. Dan Campbell yeah. has created there as the head coach. We want to see if that translates to wins too. I also can't wait to hear about the Colts at 21. I, I expected to see them quite a bit higher than this. What's your number one reason for having them in the early 20s? Look, um, this, as, as, as awkward as this sounds, okay, because I do believe that Matt Ryan is an upgrade on Carson Wentz. I really do. I still don't know exactly how Matt Ryan is going to play. And Matt Ryan has always been, had the ability uh, to throw a good deep ball last year, his lowest yards per attempt in eight years at only 7.1 yards per attempt. Um, the uh, receiving core in Indianapolis is just okay. Um, and I think this is going to be a team that is going to need to rely a lot on Jonathan Taylor the way it did last year. They need a really good season from Matt Ryan uh, to uh, be competitive with Tennessee. And they might be, they could be. At the end of the day, Paul, although I think there's a decent chance they're going to be better than last year, I have given the Colts the benefit of the doubt almost every year. And I really like the Colts. And every year, even though it's never a disaster, you know, it's, you know, something kind of falls short. And they've been a winning team with all the quarterback mayhem under Frank Reich. But they have really come up short in some games, obviously against Jacksonville last year being the, 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 the biggest of that. And I think for them to beat Tennessee, it's a lot bigger step than I think most people think. And, and I think they have to get a major upgrade at quarterback in Matt Ryan over Carson Wentz. And although deep down I believe he's better, I guess I just need to see it. I need to yeah. see it. And I will not be surprised if by the end of the year they're 10th or 11th in, in the eyes of many people around the league. I won't be surprised. But I don't know. It's just hard for me to get excited about them. You started me right down the, the road I wanted to go to when I thought about Indianapolis there at 21, Peter. It's a good time to, re to remind people, Philip Rivers played well two years ago. Now, he didn't play at a Pro Bowl level, but he, he did. did a nice job and had a really good year. Carson Wentz, I know it's easy to go to the way that the year finished. He was terrible at Jacksonville. There's a lot of intangibles to what he did or didn't do there in Indianapolis that people want to bring up. He played really well most of last year to get them in position. So Matt Ryan, I mean, to be an upgrade, he needs to move into the great kind of season because they've had good quarterback play the last couple of years. We'll see if Matt can deliver great. Another surprise, Arizona at 22, Peter. I don't know. It has felt like a weird and crummy offseason uh, for the Arizona Cardinals. You know, coming right off the bat, coming off a, a lousy end of season for Kyler Murray. Uh, you know, he starts talking about, I want a new contract. I don't want to play this year for $5 million. I don't blame him. 
but I don't I don't think he's going to play on that contract. They've got to get something done this offseason. But there seemed to be a lot of bad public blood between the two sides, and you don't want that with your franchise quarterback. Now, you might say that Hollywood Brown for Christian Kirk is a little bit of an upgrade. Okay, but how, mu- how much of an upgrade is... Uh, you know, is is missing for the first six games of the year, probably the best player on your team in DeAndre Hopkins. And I just, I, I, you know, I don't know. That's, as I said in the column, that means that DeAndre Hopkins, who missed seven games last year, almost half the season, will miss at least six this year, again, almost half the season. That's That's a huge huge disadvantage going into the team and then what happens on defense uh, they lost their best player Chandler Jones who they let go in free agency I don't know I just I look at the Cardinals and they worry me concern me a lot too based off of what they did at the end of last year and also um, with the way it seems to be going with, with Kyler Murray right now Pittsburgh at 23 Peter I mean there, there are a lot of reasons to question if they'll be any good this year they still have Mike Tomlin. It's still a team that finds its way to be at the very least competitive more times than not. How difficult was it to have the Steelers there at 23? Not difficult at all. I mean, I think this is right where they should be. Paul, do you realize that even with Ben Roethlisberger last year, this team averaged 20 points a game on offense? That's hmm. terrible. It's terrible. And... Uh, they weren't great despite having great talent. Uh, they weren't great consistently on defense either. I think this stat, uh, I'm pretty sure this is, I, I, I should have checked it, but uh, they played eight, the Steelers played 18 games last year. In 11 of the 18 games, they scored 21 or less. I mean, that's, that's bad. That's really bad. In today's NFL, when you're paying a quarterback what they're paying Ben Roethlisberger, uh, you know, so I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I don't love having to rely in a good division, which the Steelers are in. I don't love having to rely on, uh, you know, a tenuous quarterback situation, but I like having the Steelers at 23. I, they could be 19. They could be 28. Giants at 24, Peter. I mean, that's a team that I think could have been at 28 as well, but you have them at 24. I think the way I look at the Giants is I probably like Daniel Jones more than most people do. This is year four for him in the NFL. I've seen some positive signs with him in his first three years, just not enough of them. And this year, he will enter it with, by far, the best help around him. He's got, with Andrew Thomas, Evan Neal as his two tackles, with Saquon Barkley behind him, with Kadarius Toney, who worries the heck out of me, and Kenny Galladay uh, as, as his two main receiving targets. That's all around, that's the best that it's been for Daniel Jones. And that's why I think Giants are going to win a few games. I don't know how many, and I don't know if it'll be enough 
for Daniel Jones, but I like some of what they've done. I look at the team just behind them, Peter, the Seattle Seahawks at 25, and we're, we're just into baseball season. I grew up a Cubs fan. You kind of had to be at my house, and the, the mantra every year was, wait till next year. And it feels like Seattle has kind of adopted that in a football kind of way this year. Kind of a gap year for Seattle, Paul. It, that's what it feels like. I think they're not going to do something knee-jerk and move heaven and earth to try to get uh, to try to get a quarterback. And and to me, Baker Mayfield just almost complicates the situation. Um, this is a team that is probably going to have four picks in the top 50 or 52 next year because they have their own in the first and second round in Denver's in the first or second round. So they're going to be able to address a lot of needs next year, especially a quarterback if need be. If I were Seattle, I would just take my medicine this year and come back strong next year. Commanders at 26, Peter, what, what interests you the most about Washington season? I think they got a really good offensive line and a really good defensive line. And I don't, and they got, you know, I, I don't know about Carson Wentz. I think, I think he's, I think this is a good thing for Mike Florio said it on his show around the time that Wentz went to Washington. It's the best thing that could have ever happened to him. It's not like he's playing for his dad or his uncle anymore. You know, Doug huh. Peterson, uh, Frank Reich, they're gone. Now he's got to go in and prove himself. And so I think that's good for Carson Wentz. I think he's probably better than we all give him credit for. But uh, And I think he's going to have a decent receiving core. If you look at, you know, led by Terry McLaurin, and they drafted Jayon Dot, Jay, Dotson, uh, the kid from Penn State. They got Curtis Samuel coming over from Carolina. I think they're going to be okay at the receiving positions. But I just don't think it's enough in I mean I I, I don't think they're gonna uh, crack the glass ceiling of the NFC bringing us to the Jets at 27 and Peter so much optimism this spring about all the early picks and they plausibly did very well with them and excitement about the development of Zach Wilson in year two but then the reality uh, that they're probably right where they ought to be there at 27. here's the thing as optimistic as you are about this team. I'll tell you one thing on offense and one thing on defense that you just simply don't know. Do you really know anything, uh, anything conclusive about Zach Wilson? I don't. He's got a lot of, he's got a long way to go and he really needs to improve his fundamentals. Uh, and he's playing with a lot of new pieces on offense. That's going to take a while. And then I think the other thing on defense, they're basically saying to Carl Lawson and Jermaine Johnson, neither of whom has ever played a snap for this team, you guys are our pass rush. You're it. Go get them. Well, we, uh, what do you know about Carl Lawson and Jermaine Johnson? Not a lot. And so to me, I, I mean, I'm optimistic about the Jets over the next few years. I think they've done about as much as they could, but this year, eh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were 31. I wouldn't be surprised if they were 23. Another second year, former first round quarterback with a team's ranking that the fans won't like Justin Fields and the bears at 28. 
as I wrote, I feel this probably feels like the first time since Joe Schmidt roamed the tundra in Detroit that anybody thought entering a season that Detroit would be better than Chicago, <laughs> you know? Um, and I don't know if they will be or not, but it's just what, the way I picked it. I think Chicago, and look, I, I, I heard that Ryan Pohl's got a five-year contract to be the general manager. I hope he did because this is a team that really needs help all over the roster. So I think it's going to be a long year for the Bears. It says a lot about how poor Jacksonville has been that you, you can believe the Jaguars are significantly improved and think that they belong right there at number 29. As I said, they spent like drunken sailors on good but not great players in free agency. I mean, I, I, I you know, 18 million a year for Christian Kirk. Hello? I, I, just some of the stuff that they did. And look, we'll see about Trayvon Walker. We'll see. I just, you know, again, I don't want to make too much of this. But the first pick in the draft never made all-conference first or second team defense while he played in the SEC. I just, I, there's something, I mean, Paul, I don't wish ill upon this apparently very good young man, but wow, there is a, you're picking him first in the draft with the college career he had, man, that's, that's a, that is, that's not a leap of faith. You're jumping the Grand Canyon. That's how much faith you're putting in Trayvon Walker. Yeah, the Falcons didn't take Matt Ryan first, but they took him high in the first round, Peter. It makes me feel old when I read what you wrote about the Falcons. You had him at 30. This is the first non-Matt Ryan season in 15 years in Atlanta. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I remember covering the year when Matt Ryan was drafted. I did too, And yeah. you had a bunch of people in town in two, that was in 2008, and a bunch of people in town were wearing Michael Vick jerseys all over town. They didn't, even though Vick at the time was in Leavenworth, you know, I mean, he's in prison. Right. They didn't want to give up on Michael Vick as the quarterback, and Arthur Blank said, come on, let's, let's be realistic here. But anyway, look, Marcus Mariota, Desmond Ritter, I don't know. There's a, there's a talent gap, too, that Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith are trying to make up for. I I mean, I'm not high on the Falcons at all. I think with any of these teams ranked at this point of the power rankings, Peter, you're, if you're a fan of the team, you're wanting to find some kind of optimism and reason to believe that September is going to be optimistic as well. It's hard to find that with Carolina at 31. Look, the best thing that happened to Carolina is that David Tepper, the impatient owner, came out and said, we got to be patient with this team. Good for him. He should say that because it doesn't do you any good to create false hopes among your fan base and tell them how great Sam Darnold is. It's it just, you know, you got to play the season. Sam Darnold, Matt Corral, I don't think, again, that they should bring in Baker Mayfield and muddy the waters, but they may. Um, you know, I, I just think coming out of this year, the Carolina Panthers need to say, okay, we have a really good idea when we have the third pick in the draft or whatever it is. We have a really good idea exactly what we need to do. And that's, to me, what this year needs to be for Carolina. 
Your rankings started with three AFC teams at the top, Peter, and you close it out with an AFC team at the bottom. The Texans, no surprise, at 32. Yeah, I mean, I actually like the Texans a little bit more probably than I like Carolina or Atlanta. Um, the reason is that, I mean, Paul, Davis Mills, you know, in his last five starts as a rookie, had a passer rating over 102. I mean, good. Davis Mills might win this job, but that's what this year is about for uh, for Houston. Davis Mills needs to have a legitimate chance to win this quarterback job. And if he does, what a bonus for Houston. Mm -hmm. They could have a top pick next year that could be worth, I mean, if they have the first, second, or third pick next year, they could trade it for a ransom with one team with a team that's going to need a quarterback. So I I think that and I think Davis Mills has I know in the organization they're not they don't think it's very likely necessarily, but they definitely think it's possible that he could win this job and and uh, so anyway, that to me makes it a little bit brighter possibilities long term than either Atlanta or Carolina, but I do think their roster is uh, you know, is really not very good. So, look, I don't know whether they're 32 or 30. Hmm. They're going to be down there somewhere. It didn't get as much attention as it should have because the team was so far out of it. But Davis Mills did a really nice job at the end of last year. And I don't think it's being way too optimistic to think that, you know, to give him a fighting chance to prove that this year he ought to be the man moving forward and giving that franchise a chance to do something else with those early picks they have coming up. So that's 32, Peter. And it's, it's at that point of the season school's out where I have to, I have to ask, you know, Tuesday mornings, what, what are you going to do on Tuesday mornings for the, for the next few weeks here? I'm going to pine for the, uh, for a <laughs> Tuesday morning in late July when I can rekindle my, uh, my podcast bromance with Paul Burmeister. <laughs> That's probably what I'm going to do, but Paul, it's been great. We've had a fun season. Um, and I look forward to doing it again once training camp starts. Let's get into our conversation now, my conversation with George Payton of the Denver Broncos, and we'll see you on the other side. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long, but Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. <sighs> Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies. So, George, let's start with what your off-season, 
how your off season started and tell me coming into, you know, mid January, you guys as an organization, you meet and what is your priority at that point? What are your priorities? Yeah. I mean, the number one priority is to find a head coach and uh, find the right head coach you know, find the best leader, you know, for this organization and franchise. So it, it started with the head coach and, and the search, uh, obviously we, you know, we, with Nathaniel Hackett being named our head coach. And, and then from there, you know, it was really trying to solidify the quarterback position. And so those were really the two number one things that we had to get solved uh, this off season. And uh, obviously we did that. When you, hired Nathaniel Hackett the football world thought ah Aaron Rodgers they're they're focused laser focused on Aaron Rodgers were you not not at all I mean totally independent I mean it had nothing to do with the Nathaniel Hackett you know we you know he blew us away in the interview process all the background we got on you know on him had nothing to do with uh, you know obviously any player whatsoever it was just on his leadership and, and his football knowledge. So what compelled you, what drew you to Russell Wilson? Well, uh, you know, we, uh, he was available, you know, and, and uh, which was surprising, you know, when I got the call um, from John and, and he was available and obviously it's, it's just everything he's done in his career. You know, he's, he's uh, the amount of wins, uh, the way they've won. Um, you know, the way he carries himself both on and off the field. There's so many things to talk about when you talk about Russell Wilson, the franchise type quarterback. Uh, they don't come available every day. So that that's just, a, you know, the start of what drew us to Russell Wilson. As you went down the road with John Schneider, uh, was it smooth? Was it difficult? Was there ever a day that you either hung up the phone or left a meeting with him and said, man, I don't know if this is going to get done. It was very complicated. You know, it was lengthy uh, negotiations between John and I. The, you know, the beauty of it was, is John and I are really good friends. And so, you know, every time, you know, we spoke, it wasn't always about the deal. You know, we had some laughs, we sat down, we, you know, we talked about a lot of different things, but, um, you know, it, it was as smooth as it can be when you're trading some of that magnitude. It's, it's really hard to assess a value for someone like Russell Wilson. And so, that's what, that's why it took so long, very complicated deal, but because the person I was negotiating with, it seemed smoother than I anticipated. When you ended up agreeing to the deal, what was that like knowing it was going to happen? Where were you at the time uh, when you knew it was going to happen? I just think I was in my office at my house, you know, sitting in the dark, uh, you know, one evening, Sunday, I think it was uh, maybe a Sunday, Monday evening, you know, just arrived back from the combine. I knew it was going to be, it was really close. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, the next morning we, we kind of, we finalized it just John and myself. And then that was it. And I was alone in my office then. So I think coming back from the combine, whatever day that was, I'm kind of losing track that evening. Uh, and then the next morning we kind of finalized it. And then, you know, it was, uh, you know, obviously I had to talk to, you know, they gave us permission to speak with Russ. And so it was contingent on my conversation, Coach Hackett's conversation with Russ. So, you know, we had the deal in place contingent on that. What's the one thing we don't know about this trade? Was there anything, any, anything kind of deep and dark or quirky about it? 
We had a lot of beers uh, discussing this trade at the combine. That's probably what people don't know. No, you know, we we we, uh, we had a little hole in the wall that uh, John found, and and uh, it was very quiet. No one knew we were there, and and uh, we had some fun, you know. And and uh, and I think you know when you're dealing with someone like John, who's who's been doing this a long time, who's obviously really bright and brilliant at what he does, but has a really good side to him. So we made some fun out of it. Uh, you know, even though it was long, it was complicated, but uh, we, we had a good time with it. Did any part of you ever say, if Russell Wilson is everything we think he is, why is Seattle want to trade him? A lot of things go through your mind, Peter, when you're working through this, when you give up as much as we did. And, uh, but, you know, we, we talked to a number of people. We watched, you know, about all the tape you could watch on Russell. Uh, we did all our background. We feel unbelievable that we're able to get a player of his magnitude. Um, so we were, we were, we feel good. And since he's been here, it's only proved uh, what we thought. So the football world has changed now. And you now see, it's not just Tom Brady who will play this year at age 45, but Drew Brees uh, played until I think he was 41. Uh, and, and a lot of players are talking about playing much longer. Russell Wilson has spoken publicly about that. How much longer do you think he can play at a high level? I think, I mean, you look at his body, you look at his durability, it's been un, unmatched, you know, with quarterbacks first 10 years, I think he missed two, two games or I don't know how many he missed last year, right. but uh, it's remarkable how durable he's been and how he takes care of his body and, and you know, and his obsession uh, with working and working out and, and being great. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for Russell. I mean, he can play as long as he wants. Can you tell me about, Take me into your team right now and tell me a little bit about the impact just having him around your team has made. What sticks out to you? I just think when your best player is your hardest worker, it kind of carries everyone, takes everyone to a different level. And I think the moment he walked in the building, he did that. Um, you know, he's the first one here in the morning and that's, everyone kind of says that it's cliche, but he is. And, and, you know, he's probably the last guy to leave. And, and just the work he puts into it, I just think that translates to the rest of, you know, the locker room and really the rest of the building. And, and so just the leadership he's shown thus far. And then, he, you know, when he's on the field, that's easy. That's easy to evaluate, you know, how he throws the ball, how accurate he is. You know, he's still really athletic. Uh, the deep ball, you know, the incredible deep ball. So that's, that's really easy to evaluate. It's the other things that everyone in the public maybe doesn't see that we see day in and day out that I think, uh, you know, hopefully rubs off on this football team. You know, you're right when you talk about, you know, his durability. Uh, I find fairly amazing that since the day he was drafted uh, a decade ago, the Seattle Seahawks uh, have had uh, a total of, hang on, I'm going to get the exact number for you. They have had a total number of games played of 176, and he has started 174 of them. Yeah, remarkable. And, and I think one of the things, you know, the old cliche, one of the most important things about ability is availability. And I think you're getting a guy who 
you don't have to say, and again, I'm not saying that your backup quarterback's unimportant. I, I think that's a silly thing to say. But you're saying that all of a sudden, we don't think we're going to use our backup quarterback. And in Denver, since Peyton Manning walked out the door, you've needed sometimes three quarterbacks in a year. And so I wonder what that does to a personnel person like you, knowing that there's a very good chance that every snap that we line up for, this guy's taking it. Yeah, I would say, you know, that's in the back of your mind. But, you know, we always uh, prepare for the worst case scenario. You know, we always have to be ready at every position, no matter how durable. And Russell's, you know, probably the most durable quarterback to play in the last 10 years. And, uh, but no, it's, 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 it's comforting to know, uh, but we have to be ready. And we feel good about our backups, you know, if they do have to play. Um, George, let's talk about if we can a little bit about the rest of your team and about the division and where you think you are, you've been in football for a long time. I wonder as you look at your division top to bottom, does any division you've been in, in all your time in the NFL compare to the strength, the overall strength to the AFC West right now? You know, it's hard to say when you look back all the years, 20 some years, league you know on paper this division looks great and uh, Kansas City's really you know the only one that's really gone out and done it year in and year out so I mean yes on paper it looks good all the teams I mean all you know all the core four really good quarterbacks franchise type quarterbacks and then you look at the off seasons the arms race that has kind of taken place but you have to go out and perform it doesn't mean doesn't mean anything till we go out and play and win football games and but our division, it is, uh, you know, we're looking forward to it. We embrace the challenge. We know how strong it is. You know, it's hard for me uh, to really compare it to other, you know, divisions I've been in. NFC North had some really good teams back in the day. But uh, we'll see. You know, we'll see how it shakes out. I think one of the things when you look at your division now is that on a given day, <clears throat> any quarterback could have a top three or four, four performance in the NFL and I remember a year ago talking to you about taking Patrick Sertan and you were very very bullish on the fact that last year looking at your draft board he was the guy overwhelmingly who you wanted and one of the things you said to me I looked it up before we talked one of the things you said is that the way the NFL game is played if you have a chance to get a great corner, somebody who you think is going to be a great corner, that becomes almost as valuable as anything that you can add to your team. I want you to look back on that decision that you made and tell me how that reverberates right now, especially in your division with Justin Herbert and Derek Carr and Patrick Mahomes being six out of your 17 games every year. It's huge. And, and uh, you know, you and I spoke and Patrick Sertan was the best player on the board at the time we were picking and have zero regrets. Uh, you, you look how he played, you know, he played like a, a seasoned vet, like a pro bowler his first year. And, and he's only 22, 23 years old. And he's only going to keep getting better and just the way he handles them on and off the field. And then you look at our division, obviously, I mean, with all those quarterbacks, it's, it's really uh, feels good to have someone like Patrick Sertan and, and all the other secondary players that we do have. So, Zero regrets drafted him. Um, you know, I, I stick by what I said and uh, feel good about Pat. And I feel good that we have Russell Wilson. 
know, we, we have them both. And uh, can't say that was a plan at the time, but uh, I feel really good with where we're at. One of the things that I always thought if you had to make a trade for a big quarterback, that it might cost you a player you really didn't want to trade, like Garrett Bowles, maybe Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. And I'm not speaking ill of Noah Fant. I'm not speaking ill of, of Drew Locke, uh, you know, but the point I'm making is you had some cornerstone guys who you were pretty sure you absolutely did not want to trade. Did you think that you ever came close to having to include a player like that or a player who was really going to cause you a lot of pain in that trade? Well, I mean, you know, Peter, we feel like Noah Fant was a cornerstone player. You know, we did not want to lose Noah Fant, uh, 24-year-old, you know, tight end who has with Pro Bowl potential. Uh, Shelby Harris is one of our core players on defense. That was not easy. A really good player. We had to replace Shelby. We had to replace Noah. You know, we had to draft a tight end in the third. We had to sign DJ Jones. So, um, and then, you know, Drew Locke, we'd love to have kept Drew. Um, Drew's very talented, but we just couldn't. So I would, you know, I would say it wasn't easy to give up the players we gave up. And then the two ones and the two twos, I mean, you know, it, it was hard. It was hard, but knowing that we're getting Russell Wilson, it made it easier. So I would just say the three players we gave up, we felt were cornerstone type players. So it was not easy. One other acquisition in your offseason I wanted to ask you about that was Randy Gregory. It seemed to almost come out of nowhere. And I look at it in sort of a two-pronged way. Obviously, you had to investigate Randy Gregory off the field because he's had his speed bumps. Uh, but he gives you the opportunity to, when you had Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, whenever they were healthy together, which wasn't often, uh, that was something that was really dangerous for opposing offenses. Tell me a little bit about how Randy Gregory came together for you. Well, first and foremost, the tape is, is uh, you know, really good tape. The, the pass rush is, you know, one of, we think he's one of the better pass rushers in the NFL. Last year, we, you know, he'd been, was his best year and, and uh, we had to play against him. We had to game plan against him. So that, that's, you know, the start. We, we wanted to improve our explosion off the edge. And uh, we felt like in the, the free agent class, he had he was the most explosive edge uh, defender. And so first you watch the tape, but then you do all the background. We had a lot of people doing background, talked to a lot of people around the league in Dallas and uh, felt good, you know, felt good where Randy was in his life. We felt like he matured and he was a pro. I mean, they loved him there in that building. And so we feel we felt really good about Randy uh, as a person and, and as a player. And we need it, you know, not only for our division, but for the rest of this, you know, the AFC. It's, it's, there's a lot of great quarterbacks in the AFC, and we needed help uh, on the edge. You know, we have Bradley Chubb. Now we have Randy Gregory, uh, Malik Reed, Jonathan Cooper. So now we have a, a staple of rushers, and we draft Nick Benito. And you can't have enough, you know, in not only our division, but in our, you know, in our league. It's a passing league, and there's so many good receivers and good quarterbacks. So you got to get after the quarterback. There's one other player I wanted to ask you about who, who I think um, just kind of scratched the surface last year, uh, and that's Javante Williams. Um, there's no question at all that even though 
Nathaniel Hackett is known as a bit of a mad scientist in the passing game. He's got to have a guy who's going to be able to run the ball well. And I look in your second half of the season last year, and I think all but like three games, and he ran for between four and seven yards a carry in those games. And I remember watching him last year in your game against Dallas. And it was one of those things where everybody knew he was going to be getting the ball a lot. And you kept feeding him. He gained over 100 yards in that game. And really, he was a huge factor in a win that not many people were expecting. Tell me just a little bit about his development and how you see him fitting in the Hackett offense now. Yeah, I mean, his development is, I mean, he's just such a hard worker, you know, such a great uh, person off the field. And then you, the football character on the field is, is unmatched. You know, he's such a hard worker, great kid, really smart. And then as a runner, you know, he has, it starts with the vision. He has great vision, great instincts, uh, great short area burst. But the thing that really sets him apart, he's really hard to tackle. You know, he breaks, you know, he breaks more tackles than any back I've been around. Um, and then he has deceptive speed and he can catch and he can pass protect, you know, as a, as a rookie. So I, I think he's going to fit in any offense. He really fits in Coach Hackett's offense. We feel with he and Melvin Gordon, uh, Boone, you know, we have some backs. You need a lot of backs in this league, but we think, uh, you know, our one, two and our three punch, uh, you know, we have a, we have a good staple of runners led, you know, by Javante. And uh, he's just going to keep getting better. Um, you know, he's learning the league and kind of learning this offense. And, and I just like uh, the tra trajectory he's on. I, I would assume uh, that when you discuss this job with Nathaniel Hackett, and now that he's been in the building, you understand the importance of a running back in his offense. Can you verbalize that? Well, you just look what they had in Green Bay. You know, they had Aaron Jones and they went and drafted the uh, the Boston College kids in the, in the second round and yeah. just how they used it. Again, his name uh, slips me. But um, look at everywhere Nathaniel's been, you know, going back to Jacksonville. You know, when they went to the AFC championship game in a top six offense, they might have been top three, you know, running on rushing offense. And, and uh, everywhere he's been, he's run the ball. Um you know, so I know he, he loved the way we ran it with our two backs. And this was appealing to him to come here with the talent we had at running back in and in offense line the way it blocked. Two other things I just wanted to ask you, George, about sort of the state of the league and sort of being a GM in this league right now. When you looked at the draft this year and you saw that there was one quarterback picked in the top 70 picks. There were no running backs picked in the top 35. Was this draft this year an outlier about how football is uh, judged and scouted now? Or do you see something more than just a quirky year as far as the traditional positions uh, that get picked pretty high that maybe won't be getting picked as high every year from now on. Yeah, I mean, running backs really haven't, you know, the last 10 years, they haven't been too many drafted as high, you know, in the top, you know, in the first round, upper first round, just a few in, in quarterbacks. I think it's a bit of an outlier. Uh, I think, you know, too many teams need them every year, year in and year out. Uh, if you're a team and, and you really like a quarterback, you're going to take them high. You know, a team needs hope. 
you know, and you need a quarterback to win in this league. I just think, uh, you know, maybe teams are looking down the line, you know, maybe next year and the year after looking at those quarterback classes, maybe they compared them. We weren't in that game, so I, you know, maybe I don't have a great answer for you, but I do think it's a bit of an outlier. The quarterback's number one position in sports, and teams are always going to be aggressive to get them. And they can't always get them via trade. Can't always, you never can get them in free agency. So the draft's really the way most teams will be able to acquire a quarterback. Last thing, you know, when you got to Denver, uh, that it had been a sort of a frustrating time in trying to find a long-term quarterback. And clearly it occupied John Elway's thoughts probably every day. And I wonder when you got Russell Wilson, when you were, you were moving close to getting him, remember any conversations you had with John? You remember talking to John about Russell Wilson? Yeah, what if John anything, what if anything was his input? You know, John was a sounding board throughout the process. We, you know, it was a tight knit, tight group we, that knew about a potential trade. And so I bounced a lot of things off John. You know, he'd been in this seat, he won a Super Bowl, and uh, obviously he's got a great football mind. And, and he, he said, go get him. You know, don't worry about what it takes, go get him. You know, he, he, he knows how hard they are to find. And uh, so he was very good and just said, be aggressive. If you believe in it, and uh, go get him. You know, don't hesitate. They don't. This is a unique situation that doesn't come around very often. Yeah, and he certainly tried as hard as he could have to go get that quarterback uh, almost every year. So yeah. I have a feeling you probably won't be looking for a quarterback for a few years now. I don't but anyway, George, thank you so much for taking the time and, and talking. Uh, good luck the rest of the offseason. I'll see you in training camp. Yeah, Peter, great talking with you. Thank you. My thanks to George Payton, general manager of the Broncos, and to Paul Burmeister, my friend from NBC Sports, who's been such a great partner of this podcast. We will be off now for the next two months. We will come back. I already know where I'm going early on in training camp. And two months from now, I will be in either Jacksonville or Las Vegas to start the training camp trip. So I'll have a podcast from one of those two spots uh, as we start the new season uh, of NFL podcasting uh, with my friend Paul Burmeister. Paul, thanks so much for always being there for me and really enriching this podcast. You got it. Um, it's a fun turn Monday to Tuesday. Spend time with your article Monday and then actually talk to you on Tuesday. So look forward to doing it again later this summer. And thanks, everybody, for listening to the Peter King Podcast. We'll see you again in late July. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.